no, I know. Uh, but it's, you sound like it sounds like it was practice. Oh, You're no. like, oh. Welcome back, everybody, to Love's Labour's Watch, your favourite pop culture women-focused podcast. Don't yeah. tell us it's not, because it is. So we have a very exciting episode today for you. We have our first special guest. We are going to be interviewing the actor Eric Lopez, who those of you who watched uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which airs on the CW in America and Netflix internationally, mm-hmm. uh, will know as Hector, who is one of uh, the sort of supporting characters in that show. Mm-hmm. Um, really funny, gets some great lines, um, gets to participate in some of the fantastic musical numbers. Who so does he sing a bit? Yeah, yeah, he does. Oh. Um, which I spoke to him about in the interview. Don't oh, want to ruin sorry, no spoilers, no spoilers. Um, so, yeah, we got to speak to him. Um, well, I spoke to him. Helena hasn't seen the show. So I don't watch it at all. Uh, I tried one episode and it wasn't really my thing. So it felt like with a good place, it felt a bit like contrived. But then obviously the further you go into both the shows, you realise that they're trying to make fun of the format on purpose. Yeah. I just couldn't stick it out. Um, but Flan did. So. Yeah, I definitely found actually when I first started watching it, I think I watched the first couple of episodes and I wasn't really convinced. Yeah. And then actually other people I knew were like, no, no, carry on with it, personally. It, it gets really, um, yeah. My mum like watched it and was like, I love it. Like you have to just kind of get through that you know, getting used to the concept because yeah. it really does take these romantic comedy tropes uh-huh. and turn them on their head in uh-huh. a really clever way. It's also really known for its funny and inventive sort of musical numbers, which mm. are often um, sort of parodies of music videos like that we know, like pop music videos mm. or from musicals. It's got like a real big musical theatre mm. uh, pedigree. Um, the songs are... Damage them, isn't it? Yeah, and the, the soundtrack... Uh, you know, there's a lot of amusing songs, but also genuinely good, like, Broadway-style musical numbers. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it, I think it's a great show, and anyone who hasn't checked it out would definitely recommend. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, without further ado, I feel like we should speak. <laughs> also known as Segway, for Segway. anyone who is maybe listening to this for the first time this, yeah, like, this yeah. episode. That story's buried somewhere in the podcast that we've done in months before. I don't know which one it's in. The story about we, we can we can let you discover that for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Go and um, listen and have a have a listen. find out. Yeah, we're going to jump into uh, my interview with Eric, who talks to us about his role as Hector, mm-hmm. uh, what the fans have to look forward to for the upcoming or the current series, which is actually the final series. They announced that it was going to be the final one, oh, um, and they've kind of planned it all around there being four seasons. Like mm. it's got a, again, kind of like the Good Place, like very tight plotting, like trying to you know not just like going on and on but wanting it to Mm. have like a beginning middle and end Mm -hmm. um yeah so i hope you enjoy so we are so thrilled to welcome the actor eric lopez to love sabers watch today eric is a performer from dallas texas who you may also recognize from mtv's faking it he's only 27 but he's already making a mark for himself in the world of television Eric also hosts his own podcast, Eric Lopez Explains, in which he discusses some of the issues facing young aspiring actors and offers advice based on his own experiences. Eric was so kind to call me from Los Angeles and chat about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. He answered all my questions and gave the fans, including me, some tidbits on what to expect from his character in the show's final season. So Eric, welcome to the show. Okay, so... You've got a recurring role on the CW's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which airs internationally and here in the UK on Netflix. It's definitely one of the most original and dynamic shows on TV, and I'm a big fan. But for anyone who hasn't checked it out yet, how would you describe it? Oh, man. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a fun musical comedy that is not your typical... Uh, musical comedy that's uh, that's probably the best way I can rope people in yeah. um, I, I definitely have a lot of friends that they're like oh it's a musical it's a comedy like you know is it one of those like you know sappy rom-com things or sappy musical things and I'm like no it's actually very very different we uh, and I usually use songs as examples you know like the um, I'm trying to think of the, the heavy boobs and uh, right. I gave you a UTI. Like those are very silly, silly songs that are really great. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say that the show is hugely influenced by musical theatre and then also other genres of music come into play as well. Did you have a musical background before you got involved? 
I, you know, the only musical background I had was through uh, my high school theater. I, um, I was in the music man <laughs> for that, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. So how did your role on the show come about, and, and did you play a part in developing the character of Hector at all? The, yeah, the part of Hector actually came about um, through, it was an audition for, I think I want to say it was only supposed to be like one or two episodes uh, um, for the part, and the the original sides, uh, it was like, oh, just come on in, there's no sides, but you know we'll give you something once you show up, so it was like a cold read. Right. And all it said was uh, he was a stoner, and I was like, okay, well, you know, what can I do since there's no no lines that I can prep for, how can I prep for uh, this character? And then I'm like, well, it can't just be a stoner because even stoners have like dreams and aspirations, right? So I decided that, you know, the best way to go about this since he's in West Covina, close to the beach somewhat, you know, in California, yeah. um, he, he probably has, uh, he's like a surfer. So I actually showed up to the audition in a Hawaiian shirt and a Hawaiian button-up shirt and a bandana around my head, uh, kind of rolled up and stuff. Yeah. And it was probably, like, super ridiculous because everyone showed up in, like, you know, a hoodie and, like, something that maybe a more normal um, stoner would wear. And I'm coming in there with, like, these bright colors and this Hawaiian shirt. So, um, yeah, that was pretty fun. Yeah, but that obviously worked and they were quite interested in your interpretation yeah i was whenever they changed things around and they you know said that they were actually uh making him a surfer i was like oh interesting huh, i wonder if my shirt had anything to do with that but yeah. yeah and you mentioned a couple of the musical numbers earlier um but do you have a favorite maybe one that you've been in or equally just one that you really enjoyed like seeing come together oh man um most recently, I loved uh, Burl Mosley's, um, it, it was uh, the, the Lawyer, Don't Be a Lawyer song. That was really great and oh, really yeah. fun to watch, mostly because my, my sister's actually a lawyer, so that was really cool to send it over to her yeah. <laughs> and uh, see her reaction. But for, personally, I, I really liked the uh, I Go to the Zoo. Uh, I just had a really fun beat. Uh, I love hip-hop. I love, you know, R&B. And... Uh, that got me in a really good way. Yeah, that one was really funny. I did, I did enjoy that scene. <laughs> um, and the show also just sort of takes romantic comedy tropes and sort of turns them on their head. Um, do you yep. have a favorite romantic comedy? Is it a genre that you you like, or how do you feel about it? You know, I I <laughs> I love romantic comedies. I but. Like to like you know I'm not the first person to be like yeah let's go watch this romantic comedy but if it's on you know if it's on TV I'll definitely sit down and watch because it's always interesting to to see how because um, there's so many different ways to tell a love story everyone has their own you know issues going on and yeah. their own background their own family that you know kind of affects their love life so it, to be on the show and to see the different type of things I definitely uh, I don't know I appreciate flipping everything on their head. Um, flipping everything on its head like that because it's you've seen so many that you're just all like I know where this is going so it's fun to see everything change about yeah definitely I think as a viewer it's been really fun to realise your own expectations are being subverted and you're kind of falling into traps and then being like oh no actually that shouldn't have happened or you know, it can play out differently <laughs> and actually of course Hector's had his own love story in more recent episodes um, and getting married to Heather and how did you feel about that storyline were you quite excited to pursue that yeah that was that's been in the works I remember someone asked me how long has that been in the works I think that's not necessarily the the wedding part but the relationship uh, they, they were thinking about it uh, probably since season two it, right. it was just a matter of kind of fitting Nathaniel's storyline in because he was just coming in and um yeah, just getting us to grow a little bit more to get us to the wedding. But, yeah, that was definitely a really cool part uh, when they're like, yeah, you guys got to get married. Um, also, too, it kind of matched perfectly with my real life uh, because I recently got eloped in, um, <laughs> in this past summer. Right, um, okay. And, <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of cool how that happened. I like it's fun. Um, 
and kind of on a different note um you know the show's a comedy and there are some really like laugh out loud moments and a lot of funny musical numbers as we've touched upon but it's also been praised for like candidly discussing mental health issues and you know really bringing to the forefront you know a lot of issues that a lot of people go through is that something that you know you're proud of like in terms of being part of the show and do you think that's been important oh absolutely yes um my uh, I think it's something that's not talked about as much and um you know especially in a city like Los Angeles and then a lot of them you know um there's a lot of transplants here uh separated from their families and there's a lot of like depression that goes on here and a lot of you know isolation and that's not good you know so um one of the key things that when people ask me about you know becoming an actor and going to these bigger cities like new york or or los angeles or even london or you know chicago i always like tell them to to find your community because it's going to get tough and you're going to beat yourself up and you know you're going to give up before you even really give yourself a chance so definitely find your community um to to help with that also to my 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 wife her Mom uh, actually suffers um, from mental illness. She has um, she has bipolar, so bipolar disorder. So it's um, definitely one of those things where um, it hits home in several different ways. I have a couple friends who also suffer from different illnesses. So it's uh, it's really cool to be able to bring comedy into that and to bring light to it, so people kind of are more understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you touched upon this in your last answer, but um, what was your own experience of kind of coming to LA and um, you know trying to make it in this business, which is notoriously difficult to make it in? It's uh, it, you know my personal experience. I always let people know that it's it's not normal. I was very fortunate that you know I had an agent in Dallas that had connections in LA that, you know, then that those managers in LA, they helped me, you know, um, they, they really saw like my potential uh, pretty early on. So I always had someone in my corner. Um, so I kind of focused on like, how can I focus on myself and just make sure that I, I'm doing what I need to do because everyone else around me is doing what they need to do. And the issue that most people come into LA with is how can I get people on my side and be fans of me and be on my team um, and they, they kind of like lose track of I guess like what to do first or how they can you know make it big or something and um, yeah I guess not comparing is <laughs> the first you know because it's, it's very easy to compare and be like oh he made it you know this way or that person made it that way that's great to hear stories because it, it motivates you and you're like, oh, there's so many different ways to make it, mm. but not to compare. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and I also wanted to talk about Rachel Bloom. Sure. Um, you know, she's okay. such a powerhouse performer. She plays the, the role of Rebecca, but she also co-created the show alongside Aline Brosh McKenna. What's it like working on the show that is in some ways female dominated and deliberately utilizes the female gaze? It's also a really diverse show in general, which is just great to see. Um, how is that as for you as a performer? Uh, I mean, as a performer, I you know I don't see like any issue with it at all. It's actually super amazing to to you know see Rachel be an actor and writer and producer and and do all these different uh, things. Um, so I, I'm not affected at all whenever I see her like having to, oh, she's got to step out and actually talk to the director, writer, anything like that. Um, it's actually really inspiring, you know? And yeah, because um, yeah, anyone that knows her, I guess, um, story, like knows that that's how she got to where she is now. So there's a lot of respect on that set for um, her and Aline and, and um, everyone that kind of like was there in the beginning, like Jack and uh, Jack Dolgen, and, and he was one of uh, Rachel's like early songwriting partners. Yeah, um, yeah and Adam. Man, it was it, it's an amazing time to be like on set, and then seeing everyone like working like at their uh, I'm not gonna say like, peak performance because who knows what they have after this. But like, you definitely get a sense that you're like this is something really special, and to watch them come up with songs and to watch them like change things on the fly and to watch them like go with a joke that just is so like just happens 
it's it's a really cool community and environment. Yeah, I can imagine. And you definitely get that by watching the show that you've got all these really creative, interesting people coming together and creating something special. Um, of course, yeah. it's now Crazy Ex-Girlfriend in its final season. Um, how do you think fans will view the way the storyline wraps up? And, and were you yourself kind of pleased with how things panned out? Obviously, I'm sure you can't give too much away, but <laughs> um, <laughs> from what you can tell us. I'm super, ha- I'm so, so happy with, uh, from what I've heard, I don't even know what how they're going to end it exactly. Right. But from the, the talks that they've been having, uh, and this goes back to just having so much respect for, for Rachel and Aline and all the writers, what they've been doing, because there's a sense of trust. And every single time, like, you know, season one, season two, something happens, there's issues, we don't know how we're going to get here, how are we going to present this character, you know, we had Nathaniel coming along, and I think uh, whenever they they um, they had Nathaniel come onto the show, and the way they presented him, uh, you know, even the song, like, Who's the New Guy? Oh, I love um, that one. I was so funny, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, what it did was it really instilled this trust in the cast and everyone involved that like okay we're in good hands no matter what happens whatever's thrown and sit here like it's gonna be we're not gonna lose who we are and i've seen it like even with um um with skylar you know introducing you know uh the greg yeah that was actually gonna be my next question so yeah oh really okay yeah (laughs) Yeah. awesome um yeah no i mean like that's that was one of the things that whenever we heard that was gonna happen uh we're we're like okay you know whatever you guys want to do like there was a sense of like how is this gonna work but also too we trust you and then once they actually started writing stuff out and we started hearing what was going to happen and we've shot some stuff already, like, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, this, we're completely okay with this and this will be great. Yeah, it was interesting, but so just to, for any of our listeners who aren't aware, like Skylar Austin of Pitch Perfect fame, he's coming in to step into Santino Fontana's shoes and taking over the role of Greg. He's one of Hector's friends, so I'm guessing you probably have some scenes with him. Um, yep. But yeah, I do remember when I saw that, that news headline only crazy ex-girlfriend could pull that off you know that was my thought so i'm excited to see how that plays out yeah oh yeah it's gonna be great it's gonna be awesome he's he's really cool he's great um it's so funny because it's like there's so many like similar traits having worked with santino and skylar there is some like really cool similarities but differences uh yeah it's really cool yeah i'm excited for that um and obviously the show is now coming to an end. Um, so I, I wondered what are the, you know, what are the shows, if in an ideal world, if you either haven't been on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or in the future, would you like to be on? You know, are there any other shows on TV that are really excite you and, you know, you'd really love to be involved with? Um, you know, I, I really love family shows. I don't know what it, what it is. It, they, and it's not like, I guess... Um, I, I know my wife she loves like you know this is us and parenthood yeah. and whatnot uh, very very sad shows um but i'm i would love to be on a um something similar like a modern family where it's like it's real issues but there's also a lot of comedy into it um i just kind of stepped into that part of my life where i i'm seeing i'm seeing i'm realizing more of um the family stuff that people talk about on TV, like all the issues that they had, it's, you know, as you get older, you start realizing the fun, the real funniness, the, the funny parts in, the, in all of this, yeah. uh, in real life, in real life. And it's, it's really cool. And I really hope that, um, there's more TV shows that really bring to light certain issues in families that are hard hitting topics, but, you know, the same way that Crazy X does uh, romance and relationships, they, they really tackle certain issues that really aren't talked about, um, mental health and whatnot. But I would love to see that in a kind of family family fashion. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and also, I had to ask you, given this is a podcast, um, sure. of yeah. course, on the show, Hexa has a podcast with his mum. Um, oh gosh! Which, yeah. yeah, it's one of my favorite kind of throwaway jokes that has then kind of become this uh, ongoing theme. Um, uh-huh. And you yourself also have a podcast, I understand, um, oh. <laughs> where you talk about um, film and, and how you got into the acting world. Um, are you a podcast fan? Um, do you have any favorite podcasts, or was that kind of your first foray into that world? 
I, I really do love podcasts. The podcasts are great. Um, you know, I, I was listening to a lot of business podcasts, a lot of, uh, you know, not so much like comedy podcasts, but I love, I love hosts that can take a topic, you know, that like business or something and add their own fun spin to it. Uh, Tim Ferriss is a, is a great interviewer. I love yeah. great interviewers, you know, like you, you know, you guys are doing great. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's something that I, I really studied hard. I was looking into like how Larry King interviews and like, you know, uh, there's a couple of like Oprah and like, you know, Ellen generous and whatnot, but there's really cool aspects to that. And even in documentaries, that you really get to the the core of someone's, I guess, like inner thinkings and inner uh, feelings. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and to kind of conclude, and on a, a slightly similar theme. Um, so this is a pop culture podcast. So we tend to talk about like things that we've been enjoying recently, and we always talk about books that we've read or. TV shows we've caught, um, sometimes like theatre shows we've seen. So I wondered if there's anything in pop culture that you've experienced recently that you've been really enjoying and that you'd love to recommend to our listeners. Um, you know, I would recommend a. Uh, can I recommend a movie that I recently watched? Because I'm super excited yeah, to sure. recommend. Uh, Instant Family. It's actually I watched it recently, um, and it was it was a very big big surprise uh to me how well done and and fun it was um but yeah that's yeah that was really cool so definitely would recommend that and obviously uh rick and morty i've i love rick and morty so if you're you're a rick and morty fan um shout out to you and uh, of course um music wise i mean i'm still jamming to to drake today so Thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me about uh, your work and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. We're so excited to see how how the season plays out. Um, And yeah, uh, we're looking forward to seeing what you'll do in in your career going forward as well. Cool. Thank you, Francesca. Yeah, for sure. It was fun. That recently Netflix. hit Netflix. Um, um, they're really Netflix should really sponsor us. We talk about their content so much. Yeah, pretty sure the vast majority of things we've ever spoken about in this podcast have been from Netflix. The algorithm um, is, you know, very strong in making good content. I think it really yeah. is. Um, this is interesting because this show, or this movie, was not actually made initially for Netflix. Mm. It was made to be you know, on the big screen, and that's definitely evident in the cinematography and the way it's put together. Um, instead, it, and, you know, for reasons that we'll discuss, it ended up on Netflix. Um, it is a film about Robert the Bruce, the... The Scottish... Well, if you don't... Um, you, might, you might not know, if you're an international listener, or even an English listener, to be honest with you, about Robert the Bruce, yeah. who um, essentially was a king in Scotland in the early 1300s, so the 14th century. Um, and he's been credited with... Um, so Scotland got invaded by the English in the later 1200s, um, and it was one of the King Edwards, I can't remember which one now, um, and uh, they took over, they destroyed the monarchy, and Robert the Bruce was crucial in essentially bringing the Scottish monarchy back to life and um, ensuring the separation of Scotland as a true country of its own, a sovereign country, until the Union of the Crowns again, which was in 1707. Mm. So he's a big national and folk hero, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Um, along the lines of William Wallace, who mm. many people know from the movie Braveheart. Um, mm. So it also has a very similar vibe to Braveheart. It's yeah. kind of like have a air to Braveheart. Have we actually said the name of the movie? I don't think no! Well, it's about Robert <laughs> the Bruce. Case, in case you haven't guessed, uh, the movie will give some other clues. Also stars Chris Pine, who we are a big fan of here in the I'm podcast. Blanche Pugh, and who Blanche I Pugh. adore. Also, oh my uh, you know, an upcoming star who we're really like 100% behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie is... Outlaw King! King. Oh, um, so I think, from what I remember, it was premiering at Toronto last year, Yeah, wasn't it? And I don't know if Netflix had been a distrib- Netflix was its distributor at that point. No, I don't think so. And it was also apparently 20 minutes longer mm. than it is in its format now. Um, and it got picked up by Netflix. I think, yeah, the, the filmmakers were definitely hoping it was going to be this big budget action adventure. And I think the critics thought it probably would be, but then I think they watched it and they were a bit like, what? Like, it, the, the reaction seemed to be a bit, like, confused. I yeah, thought. I think it wasn't quite what people were hoping for. Um, uh, I mean, I, I wonder if that's because 
in some ways it's it's not that it's slow at all it's actually quite kind of well paced but it definitely mm. takes a slower tone mm. than um your average like action adventure hero you know yeah, so like so like gladiator for example which is like tight plot lots of action heroics you know i think um i think the outlaw king is much more like gritty and like grounded and arty yeah, but then it also is kind of punctuated by like unintentionally funny sort of Tropey moments, yeah. moments yeah. which I think really works on Netflix because actually we were so we went into this film thinking it was going to be so bad it's good kind of vibe like uh, you know mm. I don't think we were really our expectations were quite low we were concerned about like Americans doing Scottish accents historical accuracy as well yeah and, yeah. and it just being a bit ridiculous because some of the things that we'd heard were that it was like quite fun yeah I, I thought it was like a stab a historical move a period movie that actually was just just a stab like it wasn't actually very presciently done yeah that was the vibe I was getting although of course like the actors in it should have probably given us a, given a sense that it was trying to be it was trying to be a movie of pedigree um and so then cut to two and a half hours later it was quite a long film even yeah though. I yeah, can't yeah, believe yeah. it had an extra 20 minutes tacked onto it but anyway we were literally like sitting there minds blown almost like crying with like going on about how much we love and miss Scotland like it had a really like extreme reaction in us I think we loved it like I honestly I really really did I think I said this about Netflix quite a lot and I'm going to continue to say it that I think that the reason that the princess switch um a Christmas prince um things like Riverdale um Sabrina like the things that Netflix have gone ahead and made because they have all this data and because Netflix is full of people Netflix has a slightly like contemporary business model you know they're really happy to drop things that aren't working and to pick up new stuff yeah. you know they're not they're not rooted in the mainstream even though they are the mainstream um I think that the way their you know, their algorithms and their data processing and understanding that they get from you know having us watch things on their site is actually very sophisticated and it means that like they make trophy films sure but I think Outlaw King for example like it just kept hitting the right points yeah. I know it's not made by Netflix but I think Netflix have a real gift for recognising what makes people stick with the film yeah, that well, other people don't I think that film if it had been released in cinemas probably would have sunk under the water fairly yeah. quickly yeah. particularly if it had got negative reviews and I also think that you know you and I we wouldn't have necessarily gone to see that in the cinema um, you know, no. we, we might have done like, yeah. and I think that's probably because we would have been attracted by the actors and the fact it was set in Scotland. But we still wouldn't have necessarily done that. Whereas we pretty much watched it on Netflix almost immediately as it was released. Well, yeah, because for net when when Netflix do it, you're like, oh, it's kind of like a, a fun film. I can yeah. just jump into it. If I don't like it, I'll stop. With so I think that's the. I mean, that's the thing that I think people deride Netflix for. But personally, I think it's great because it really allows you into films. And also, I think their marketing for it was absolutely hysterical. Oh my gosh, it really was. I mean, Netflix the UK are already an amazing Twitter account, but they literally went ham. Like they put it, they put it everywhere. They were like, Outlaw King was all over the place. Yeah, and they basically adopted. They kind of turned all their like iconic shows. Um, so you've got like Queer Eye, uh-huh. um, which became Queer A. <laughs> I. Whoever. Yeah. Queer Eye. Um, Queer Eye. <laughs> um, and various other films, or oh, films and TV shows like Stranger Things. The other one I noticed that they did was um, to all the boys I've loved before. There's a scene where um, Noah Centineo's character is drinking this Korean-based yogurt drink ah. that the female protagonist really loves, and they change it to being like Iron Brew. <laughs> so they, they, their, their Twitter memes were like on point, and I think I'm sure that like attracted other people to like watch the film. Mm. Um, so the movie, let's let's discuss. Let's um, discuss. Yeah. What were your thoughts on Chris Pine, first of all? So he is the uh, he is the titular, the titular role of the oh. King. Yeah. <laughs> and then I only recently learned what the word titular meant, but you know. <laughs> well, you only recently learned how to pronounce the word segue. <laughs> we have both learned a lot on this podcast. Yeah, it's, been been a, learned, it's been a journey. You no, know, five, six years of education, and you, well, no, sorry, 18, 20. <laughs> Many <laughs> years of education, we can't spell. Um, I honestly think, I think that Chris Pine is an incredibly underrated actor. Yeah. Serious actor because he has this amazing ability to play main roles kind of in a very humble way you mm. see it with star trek you see it with wonder woman um you see it in just my luck you know chris pine doesn't seem to have an ego with his acting you know so he's not chris pine he is you know he has this real soft quality i think to his acting that i think is great like his characters were very human um and i think 
uh, for one thing, the accent was very good from the from the get go. Yeah, like I think a Scot, like Laura Nicole, hi Laura Nicole, if you're listening, we might be like, okay, it's not amazing, but it's not the worst. It's actually pretty pretty good. Um, I also think that like you know it had a very real quality to it. Like he wasn't particularly showmany. You know he wasn't all like heroic. He had a really kind of bad haircut. Was wearing quite period appropriate clothes. Mm. I think, and it really he really helped to ground the whole performance in the realistic. And to make Robert the Bruce seem like a man rather than like this massive folky hero, which I think yeah. was yeah. And again, like you know, he has such this emotional soft quality to the characters he plays that I always enjoy because you know then he like had this like romance with this woman, and you were like, oh, it's like the most adorable thing in the entire world. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, it's interesting that of all the kind of Hollywood Chris's, in some ways, I would say Chris Pine. Obviously, he's he's been very successful, and I think he definitely has like a lot of commercial hits behind him. Yeah. But I don't think he's really quite on the same plane as like Chris Evans or even Chris Pratt, like who. Well, because they've all they've all got they've all got the Marvel. Tinge, yeah, that's though, true. Yeah. Um, but I agree that he. I mean, we talked about this before. We talked about it specifically in regards to Wonder Woman. Mm. That he was quite happy in that film that he was the supporting character, yeah. and it was all about Wonder Woman. And he did a lot of looking at her in awe. Mm. And in this film, you know, he very much like grounds Robert the Bruce as being a man of the people and someone who uh, you know wants to have all these different people involved in fighting his cause Mm -hmm. and and has this kind of slow burning and then very sweet love story with his future queen who is played by Florence Pugh so we should now discuss her Um, so she is only 22 years old Mm. uh, which works very well in this movie because um, the role she's playing Elizabeth she was only supposed to be 18 when she got married to Robert the Bruce Um, and she is this English a queen, well, or princess, aristocrat, yeah, yeah, who comes to marry him, and it's very much like an arranged marriage. Um, he already has a daughter from his uh, original marriage, and his wife has passed away. Um, and you can tell they're both not quite sure what to think of one another. Mm. And she very quickly gets swept up in this rebellion, mm-hmm. and she is very quick to side with him. And one, straight away, that is one thing definitely where they did have to kind of they had to kind of truncate the story. You know, it was very slow in the beginning. That's amazing. What was it? Ten minute long, yeah. long one shot, which we'll get back to in a second. But um, they had to kind of truncate. I think their relationship, like it went very much from sort of like them, you know, him being the classic man who does not exist, by the way. But it's nice to think that someone like this does exist, where you know they have this like wedding night, and you know they sit together on the bed, and he's like, "Well, good night," and then leaves, and she's there being like, "He respects my my boundaries, or what?" And they have this like, you know, he builds respect and then they decide that they actually love each other um and but you know she goes very quickly from sort of like nice woman and she is just a general nice woman mm. you know she hangs out with his daughter and is generally yeah. nice and cares for people there's a great scene where like they're trying to call up 14 year old boys for the war because at this point obviously england is sort of treating scotland like a protectorate um and then she's like, do you know who my dad is? My dad's really important. Leave the boys alone. And everyone's like, wow, you're so amazing. Um, and that's all lovely to establish her character. But then very suddenly, you know, she eavesdrops on him, basically plotting rebellion against her home country. Mm. And she's like, yeah, cool. I'm with you. It's very clear from Outlander. Yeah. Sense. Like, yeah. And obviously, like, I do think in real life that she would be expected to do her husband's duty. Like, that was a great way that women could get away with doing criminal things in the medieval period because, you know, the law requires that you, well, religion, religious law requires you submit to your husband's wishes. If your husband ordered you to murder someone, you're doing what he said. Mm. So he's the one who's in trouble, not you. So she could have definitely got away with treason by basically being like, my husband made me do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but still, I was sort of a little bit like, okay. And some of the reviews I read were like, wow, it was all a bit quick in parts and slow in others. No, I mean, I would agree though. I think that's maybe where the, the pacing kind of comes into play uh, is a bit sort of yeah there are parts where things clearly a lot of time has passed and other parts where time is literally passing in front of you like this tracking shot that Helena referred to um but I think of course yeah it's clearly not totally historically accurate in terms of how it portrays their relationship but in the context of the movie I think it works well Mm. they have really good chemistry and she also she elevates the role beyond just being like a supporting kind of like vaguely feminist princess role which yeah. I think it could have been I think Florence Pugh is quite like Lily James and mm. they're just I mean I've talked about this before I've watched uh, Romeo and Juliet with Lily James in it and it just became Juliet like Romeo was completely secondary because she Lily James has this capacity to imbue her roles with just you know watchability and I think Florence Pugh is the same like, I agree yeah. she's been in a couple of other things she's been in the the, the drum the little drama book the, the little, the drama, little girl, drama girl yeah. which is a new John the Carr 
uh, adaptation. And she's also was in Lady Macbeth, which is like a very art housey indie film, mm. kind of like about a woman in isolation in like a moor, uh, on a moor somewhere with this husband who she hates. And like, she ends up killing everyone essentially, but it's really weird psycho- psychological thriller. Mm. Slash not a thriller because I think it's very slow. But her acting in that was fantastic and she must have been only 18 then. So she's come up quite quickly because she's just fantastically talented. And I think she has this, you know, that role could very much have become like a secondary role. But mm. Florence Pugh, you just can't really not watch her. She's so yeah. like amazing. I love her. It was interesting. Um, I read a Vanity Fair profile on her today, actually, um, where they said that she's often compared to Kate Winslet. And Kate Winslet in her early roles, so she oh. kind of came up quite young and you know was taking on these roles where she was very, as you say, watchable and mm. also kind of commanding and taking on the role, giving the role like another level. Yeah, really, uh, which I thought was an interesting comparison. And also, she's currently starring or she's filming um, Greta Gerwig's Little Women with some of our other faves. Oh, um, yeah. Saoirse Ronan, Timothy Chalamet. Been a long time since we mentioned Timothy on the panel. Oh, Timothy yeah. Chalamet. Well, I can mention his amazing suit he wore to an award show a couple of weeks ago. It was like a big flowery pattern thing. Oh, yeah, I mean. yeah. But yeah, so it's a great cast. And then you've got a supporting cast of kind of... Everyone people, who's ever been in Outlander, basically. Yeah, people <laughs> who would recognise from Outlander or Game of Thrones, I would describe Literally, it as. yeah. Um, sort of Scottish character actors. Um, in, an, in a kind of quite nice turn of events, like, there's a couple of actors who play like um, Robert the Bruce's brothers. Brothers in arms and also literal brothers. Um, yeah, they all end up dying, of course, but yeah, who but does they, it in um, film? They do have like genuine supporting roles. They aren't just kind of in like one scene. Like They do become like his... His like, advisors, his, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has his redhead advisor as well. Yeah, that, yeah, that guy. Um, and then you also have Aaron Johnson, who plays... Oh, like, God, a okay, maniac. we need to have a stop here and talk about Aaron Taylor Johnson. So, essentially, let me set the scene for you. Um, there's a guy... So, for the first tracking shot, there's a guy who pops in at some point who... You, they're all beardy and, like, big hair, so yeah. you can't always recognise them. Um, and he's like, my name is Duncan or something. He does, Duncan? Yeah. Douglas? Douglas. Douglas, you know, yeah. give me back my land. <laughs> Um, and the king's like, no. And then he gets fucks off. Um, and then we're like, okay. And then this guy turns up on like a road in front of um, Robert the Bruce as he's going off to like start a rebellion. Yeah. And like dramatically walks up to them, gets his sword out, and they're all like, oh shit, oh shit. And then like slams it in the dirt and is like, you're my king, give back my land, etc., etc. You know, and anyway. And he does this the whole time with kind of crazed eyes. <laughs> like, like he gives off a vibe from the beginning of being slightly psychopathic. So we were like, okay. And I said to Flam, hey, is that Aaron Taylor Johnson? And Flam was like, is it? And then we looked it up. And indeed, the crazed man with the crazy eyes is the crazy Aaron Taylor Johnson. And honestly, throughout the film, he's just an absolute wild card. Yeah. Like... And like Florence Pugh, they have this trio of like actors you can't look away from because Chris Pine's great, Florence, Florence Pugh is great, and Taylor <laughs> Johnson's just like a maniac. He's just like, <laughs> whenever they go anywhere, he's either slaughtering people yeah. and loving it. And just or, screaming all the time of his life. Screaming, yeah, or kind of seducing women. Occasionally he does that when he has Oh chance. yeah, on the island he's seduced like five women. Yeah, they go to Isla, shout out to Isla. They do go to Isla. Um, but yeah, he's just... His character definitely like veers into the unintentionally amusing. It's just category. at the end where he has this massive like slaughter thon, and he and he everyone else is looking really like they're like really struggling with the fact that this is very intense. Nope, not Aaron Taylor Johnson. Bloody and the camera just. I remember. Do you remember the camera? They made some interesting choices with the violence. I think like one thing people did like was they felt that you know apparently the battle of it's not Bannockburn. It's like a different battle. Um, a precursor to the big battle of Bannockburn which was one where they managed to rouse the English mm. forever well until like the 1700s um, they uh, it was re- historically accurate like mm. they had a, a lot of horses a lot of mud and dirt it was very much like a lot of people grappling in the mud and no idea what's going on yeah. and they kind of were, definitely went for that which is good because it makes you feel very close to the action and it was nice that it was realistic a bit gratuitous but that's kind of what war and violence is except these long shots holding on to Aaron Taylor Johnson just screaming his head off just like looking at the camp looking at the camera but you know face to the camera just screaming yeah and then he kills people and he screams some more and you're like it's been five minutes and I'm just watching him scream yeah he was an intense intense wild card addition uh, to so strange but, 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 I mean maybe he was supposed to be like the opposite of Robert the Bruce because he was very considered and sort of calm I think personally <laughs> That that's a nice. That's definitely a good. I, I definitely think that like that could be one opinion. One, 
my other theory is that he was meant to be a character who was just like a supporting character, like a rebel who joined in. And then Aaron, they cast Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson took it too far. Yeah, he, and he probably went a bit method and was yeah, like screaming in his trailer. Like, <laughs> like, Aaron, stop. Aaron, well, calm on down. A, on a similar note of like, May- mayhem and sort of madness in, in characters oh. uh, you have the English King who is played by rising star Billy Howell who's actually quite good looking in real life you would never know it from this it's film the, it's the ball haircut um, and yeah. it's, it's like I've seen he was in on Chesil Beach with Saoirse Ronan um, again shout out to Saoirse Ronan she also features a lot on our podcast yeah. um, and he was playing this kind of buttoned up uh, you know shy Englishman and here he is kind of Bit, bit buttoned up, I suppose, but crazy basically he is like this crazed king. Um, he takes the kind of uh, the idea of him trying to defend the English crown to like another level. Yeah, of... he's like your classic son whose father never properly loved him and said he was proud to give him a hug, and then basically just goes off the deep end. There is one scene which you told me about before we watched it, and then we watched it and we were like, oh my god, <laughs> where like, I'm sure it was a tradition at the time, but you know, he has this like army of like, you know, militant, like, extra angry warriors yeah. who he goes up against Robert the Bruce with. You know, they ride around. And, you know, there's this whole cer- traditional ceremony of, like, raising the dragon banner, etc. Yeah, when they decide, decide to... And there's a, yeah. a scene where they're having this feast or whatever, and then he just, like, has two dead swans by the neck. Oh, they're alive at this point. Well, this is, this is a question of contempt. Of con- contempt? No, what's the word? Consent? No. <laughs> <laughs> the swans consent. <laughs> So this is a contentious question. Were the swans alive? Because you earlier see them looking very plump and kind of alive. swan-like in the background. In some cages. And does he strangle them by their necks? While or yelling. were they already dead? Who knows? But basically, he has a kind of meltdown. He holds <laughs> up the swans and he's like, Buy these swans! <laughs> and then he like goes crazy and just like starts like trashing the place and like drinking <laughs> and just kind of has to go on like a bender. And it's like... I presume this was supposed to be a serious scene, but there is no way on earth in which anyone could watch it and be like, oh, cool, okay, yeah, moving yeah, cool, on to the next scene. We were in hysterics, and we'd already read about it beforehand, and we yeah. still like, lost it's it. Just, so. I think that's the thing about this film that's great about it. It's just like, it's not completely sane. They got a bit ham. Like, you know, I think with this long tracking scene at the beginning, which mm. was like very impressive, but also like, did you need that? Yeah. All the screaming. Some of the, there's one bit where they gratuitously like, hang draw and quarter one of the brothers while yeah. his while Robert the Bruce's daughter is like crying and screaming which is which is bizarre because they kind of go from her being this kind of cute like she's very much in the cute daughter like role yeah you know like she's very angelic looking and she's like says, says cute happy things just suddenly the fact that she's like basically witnessing this like terrible murder you yeah know? it's like they don't quite know what to do with that yeah. like, and then at one point like they at one point Florence Pugh's character gets like hung off a, hung off a uh, Hung off a castle wall. Which, in a, interestingly, uh, yeah, sorry, no carrot. Yeah. yeah, hung off a castle wall in a cage, which did really happen. But they just sort of like, you see her there, like, kind of like singing to herself, and then black. And you don't see her again until the end. Well, and you're like, okay. Apparently, she herself wasn't actually hung off. It was like his sisters in, in the. In yeah, the, yeah, like, yeah. Absolutely. No, you're right. But, but you're right. Like, people did actually, that did actually happen to them. Um, but they also have to kind of gloss over the fact that she was imprisoned. For like eight years, eight years, and so was the daughter. Yeah, um, you know, as prisoners of war. Yeah, yeah. and they kind of have to like you know not dwell on that for too long because they want the romantic reunion, which they have on a beach. It's all very beautiful. Why on a beach? Why not? Why it's true. This whole film could really be embodied by that idea. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> because this tracking shot to like, I know we keep jumping around, but it, it literally like lasts like ten minutes. You have all these people who are begrudgingly. Uh, pledging their loyalty to the British king. English king. English king. Um, and then... Historical accuracy. <laughs> why you should never talk about medieval things with a medievalist. No, no, but this We're is, no fun. It's a good correction because obviously that's, yeah, part of the part of the point. Um, but then you, that kind of, it kind of develops from there. You have like a fight happens between Chris Pine and the, the weird, king. The weird the son, yeah. Um, and then you have this like catapult that's fired that attacks a castle. Yeah, and like the whole thing, like they're opening the film with this, and me and Flan were definitely like impressed. We were watching, oh, we're yeah. like, wow, it's still going. And it is like a very engrossing way to get you into the film. Definitely. And it's very impressive how they pull it off. Like a lot of people move through the shots, and there's 
you know, different scenes and, you know... Things are happening outside and inside at the same time. Yeah, different locations and stuff. And then there's Catapult, where they literally catapult stuff. They actually catapult a burning fireball at a castle. Yeah. I don't know what castle they catapulted it at, but they catapulted it at one of them. Um, You're sort of like, cool, cool, all right. What's next, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where you think you put a lot of effort into that, but actually... Could that effort have gone elsewhere? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So I think like the thing about this film was we really, really, really enjoyed it. And the acting was really good. And the setting was beautiful. And the costuming was great. And yeah. the filming is very arty and engrossing. All of that. I thought also the historical setting was very well done too. Mm. But it kind of felt like, you know, this person was like, I'm going to make a historical film and I know exactly <laughs> what I have to do. And they didn't really consult anyone who knew anything about making a historical film. And maybe that's why, like The Greatest Showman, same mm. problem, that Hugh Jackman got so confused when people didn't completely like it because he thought he knew exactly what a musical film should be like yeah. and obviously didn't seem to take any kind of constructive criticism. Yeah, I think that's true. And it, it, it sort of relies on the fact that it kind of assumes actually that you know quite a lot about this period of history, which oh, yeah, people don't right, necessarily actually. know about. Like people, like they have this bit with William Wallace where all the people get angry because they put William Wallace's arm up on a pole, and then well, if you didn't know who William Wallace was, I think you could have totally missed that. Yeah. I think you could have even not taken in who it actually yeah, like, was. What's he doing in the woods? Um, for what? <laughs> so there's, there's that, but you know, you could say that that's not like pandering to the audience, but it's just in general, like you said, I think there's just a, there's just a couple of things that they go just a bit mad on OTT. <laughs> okay. yeah. um, but on the other hand, you've got, yeah, solid acting, as we said, also really, really spectacular scenery. And, yeah. um, you know, if you've ever been to Scotland, if you enjoy watching things set in Scotland, if you just enjoy nice mountains and beach and sea and Beautiful. sky, yeah. and yeah, it, then you, all it takes all of those boxes. And mm. uh, I guess one shame about the fact that it's gone on Netflix is a lot of people watch it on their laptop and mm. therefore not get the full spectrum yeah absolutely and I think in the end I think it again shows that you know what I like what I keep defending about Netflix is that you don't need to have a big theatrical release for a film to be any good and I keep saying that movie studios they for me they keep on making a lot of the same mistakes because they are stuck in their ways a bit and Netflix is able to be a bit more agile yeah and they do make stuff which is just a bit more interesting yeah and also we're talking about it and you know this film came out maybe two or three weeks ago now and like people have been talking about it that's one moment has become an iconic scene of 2018. Yeah. Um, so, whereas, like, that would not have necessarily happened had it been released in well, the conventional way. Well, you can't make gifts of things in one way. No, that's true. Or screencasts as well. So. Um, yeah, so if you fancy watching this film, you know, I, I think you should give it a chance. I feel like... Yeah, watch it in the evening. Yeah, have with a good some time. wine. Um, Enjoy the accents. Enjoy yeah. the murder and the death and, you know, the cute, you know, romance between... Chris Pine and Florence Pugh, even though they're like, he's like 30 years old, no, 20 years old. She she has a great selection. I mean, this is not to only speak about her love interest. We've already spoken about how great she is as an actress, but she also has had a very strong selection of love interests. Like, she's currently with Alexander Skarsgård on Little Drama Girl. She's just so amazing. You know, I think she's so great. Oh, Florence Pugh. She's amazing. Come on the podcast, Florence. Yeah, Florence. We love you. Or if anyone knows Florence, like, yeah. Yeah, hit, hit us up. Speaking of, um, as always, we tweet about our podcasts when we release them and when we're recording them and when we find something else to talk about on our Twitter at RealLLW. We also have an Instagram, which is Loves Labours Watch, no punctuation, and all lowercase. And we have an email, which is lovelabourswatch at gmail.com. So if you want to connect with us on any of those levels, you can. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cool. Well, we're going to see our way into something different now, aren't we? We are. Yeah. <laughs> So, this has been a long time coming, this section, mm. um, but this, it probably fits because it's probably about to have its release on, like, DVD and, like, iTunes and stuff, I would think. Oh, I should buy it. Anyway, yeah. Um, so, this movie uh, came out in the summer. Stars one of our all-time favourite leading men. I think you can pretty much guarantee that anything he's in, we will discuss. Mm. Um, also stars one of my all-time favourite comedic women. That's true, and it is definitely fits with the female-focused element of our podcast because mm. it really is a film that... Yeah, yeah, it's very women. silly, but yeah. it's also coming down on, you know, it's being about female friendship. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. The film is... The Spy, the Spy Who Dumped Me. Me! This is a very contrived format we're going for here. <laughs> I love it. I, I love it. it. It's amazing. Um, um, which I watched in the cinema 
And then a couple weeks later, we watched together, didn't we? Yeah. And it's just an absolute riot from start to finish. Yeah, so it's a movie about uh, Mila Kunis, who is a fairly ordinary woman who Works happens to be... Yeah. yeah, happens to be dating a spy without... She doesn't realise he's a spy. Yeah. And then played he, by Justin Yeah, Thru. Justin Thru. And then he dumps her before the film starts. And then you see her at her birthday with her best friend, Morgan, who is played by Kate McKinnon. Yeah. Who basically... I, I maintain... She was in Ghostbusters too, wasn't she? I maintain they don't give her a script. They just, like, let her loose on the actors and are like, go for it, Kate, do what you like. And I think she really carries this film. And Mila Kunis, too, does a great job, and the other people in it. But I think that she... uh, Like, Kate McKinnon has this gift of being able to make almost anything funny. Yeah. Like, and just, like, a raise of an eyebrow will have you, like, in hysterics. Yeah, absolutely. So I find... And also, her focus on films is... Her focus in films always seems to be, like, female friendship, female support. Like, she's always being, like... There's a bit where... um, that a guest star is Gillian Anderson. Gillian yes, Anderson. Yes. And she comes in as like the, the head of the spy agency. She's kind of a sort of Judy Dench as M in James Bond. Yeah, yeah, figure. yeah. And yeah, and she's very much like mm, Jude, I'm Gillian Anderson, and I speak. Um, and then Kate McKinnon sees her. Morgan sees her, and is like, oh, "You, you're the one who runs this place. Oh my god!" So you know, I love that. I love that. What that that's what she brings to movies. So she's like, "Oh." Um, let's find you a new guy. It's not a big deal. Like, this guy's stupid. And they go home and they burn all his stuff. Mm. Um, and then they, you know, and then the next day he turns up and it's like, did you burn everything of mine? And you're like, what? He's like, what? She's like, what's going on? There's a shoot up. You know, he dies. And they're like, we have to go to Austria like he told us to do. So they start them off on like this journey to like try and deliver this package that he'd been searching for and had hidden in, they hid it in Mila Kunis's house. Yeah. Um, off around the world on like a classic European spy trip being pursued by random villains so you never quite understand exactly who they are and it kind of like matches together James Bond film buddy cop film female friendship film and romantic comedy yeah. it's like four different films in one yeah and sometimes that works really well sometimes not so much um, and then they also kind of hook up with this British spy who is played by Sam Hewan. Sam Hewan. Which is obviously the only reason I went to see this film. Yeah, that's why we were initially attracted to this film, and I think I probably would have maybe watched it at some point, but I certainly wouldn't have been like rushing out to see it. Yeah, but of course, you know the power of the star fan base. You know, like Sam Hewan was. This is one of his first big action adventure roles. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's like his only film role aside from obviously the Christmas Prince classic, Princess Christmas. Yeah, that one. Yeah, and he obviously did a lot of terrible social media about it. Yeah, Sam Hewan is terrible at Instagram. Yeah, he is quite She's bad. awful yeah. at it. Sorry, Sam, you're not listening. But if you were, you're really bad. You're like a dad. Um, uh, so, you know, and it turned into it's one thing where it starts out, you knew, I knew exactly what was going to happen before I watched it. You know, like he starts out chasing them and they don't really trust him because, you know, the boyfriend told not to trust anyone before he died. But then it turns out actually like he's not the villain. Someone else was the villain. And they have to like, go on the run with Sam Hewen. And yeah. then Mila and Sam start to kind of fall in love and et cetera, et cetera. And it wasn't, I mean, honestly, what I was surprised by, in the trailers, he doesn't have that much of a role at all. You no. barely see him. I mean, I think that, obviously, he does have a big fan base of Outlander fans, but if you haven't seen Outlander, I don't think you know who he is. And yeah. I think the trailers were obviously thinking, oh, he's not the person to yeah. to lead with. But, except Justin Threw is barely in it, and Sam Hewen's in it so much. And I didn't know how much was going to be in it. I didn't stop like burbling the whole time I was like oh my god oh my god oh he's back oh god he's so fit oh my god he's gone he's gone oh he's back oh my god Sam and he is yeah he is very attractive in this film in case anybody was concerned um, that he wouldn't be he's washed all the time which is nice yeah it's very different vibe to Jamie because he's wearing often wearing like a tuxedo or Uh, occasionally he wears kind of like a flannel shirt and like you know or like a zip up like polo jacket thing yeah um and yeah, he he's he's supposed to be English. That was a bit of a letdown. But aside from that, like he is, yeah, very suave, quite funny, kind. Yeah, not, basically, if Jamie were a modern spy. Yeah, it's not dissimilar from the role of no. Jamie, aside from the context and the period setting. And he's also slightly funny. Jamie does not. Jamie doesn't have much of a sense of humor. No, no, that's true. Um, he, yeah, he has pretty good chemistry with Mila Kunis. I would say. Like, yeah, yeah, and I think. And in some ways, the great thing about the movie is that, again, like, I think Sam is kind of like Chris, and he's very good at playing, like, a secondary role. Yeah, very Like, true. in Outlander, in Princess for Christmas, in this, he doesn't overtake, you know, he doesn't have this huge ego where no. he has to kind of, like, somehow steal the show, you know, a lot of it, but Kate McKinnon steals the show. Yeah, totally. Essentially. Um, and the story's a bit convoluted, and there's a lot of loose threads. It's weirdly long as well, actually. It's another film which, like, 
you're a bit like, oh, it's done now. And then yeah. it's like, no, 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 there's still half an hour left. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, definitely. But the comedy is sort of, the comedy's kind of, you know, the comedy's there and it's really kept up by the fact that I think Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon and Sam in some ways have quite good comedic timing. Um, so it's kind of very, very silly, but, but pretty so watchable. much fun. Yeah. yeah like Again, it like, doesn't movie, feel lame. No, in a movie, if you were like having a night in with friends and wanted something funny to watch i think mm. everybody would find it like reasonably amusing right yeah. like you don't have to be a fan of any of those actors to enjoy it yeah you don't yeah, have yeah. to be a fan of like spy movies or anything like it definitely sends up spy movies a little bit but also it kind of does very much fit in it's quite violent actually like um well yeah and this is you know they always have they had this weird bit with the russian ballerina slash assassin who like yeah. attacks them with like Acrobatics, acrobatics, and mm. then it's like they're like they try and like woo her with their friendship, and then they're like, "Who's your best friend?" And they're like, she like looks at the balance beam, and it's like, "My best friend." And then Kit McKinnon's like, "Oh my god," you know, like it's silly, but I think like Mickey Kunis seems to be in a lot of films just like this that kind of make fun of traditional films yeah, of the genre, like No Strings Attached or um, Bad Moms. Mm. They're making fun of that, but they're also kind of cleverly still in that genre so they can still take advantage of being mainstream yeah yeah so it has like you said like the sort of hop about europe like the go to vienna and then paris and budapest mm. and uh, yeah a bunch of other places mm-hmm. um yeah but all in all i think for sam hewan it's not a bad movie to be like his first foray into screen acting also with two very well respected actresses yeah uh one thing i was going to ask you is do you think that sam hewan has a career as a leading man maybe in the style of Chris Pine but like somebody who's actually going to be leading blockbuster films um I actually don't not too sure um Outlander they've got locked in for three more years yeah which I think will impact it greatly definitely so until the end of his Outlander career he's doing another action adventure film I mean I think at the minute he's still relatively B-list in that you know I don't know if he's going to, like, land a Marvel role. He could land a Marvel role. I don't... I think, for me, I think Sam Hewitt's acting is... I think he's more suited for TV work, I think. Yeah. Like, I think period drama TV work can be very... um, require a lot of skill and is just as, you know, is just as worthy as, like, mainstream Hollywood. And I think that he is a bit too sophisticated his acting in A Spy Who Dumped Me was in no way as good as Jamie because the role of Jamie just gives him so much more to yeah. work with. I mean, it was a pretty, like, one-dimensional role. Yeah, like, was, one face. he was playing. That he needed to use. Movie. Yeah, and I also, of course, nowadays, film, um, TV is so well-respected that actually, mm. it's as a TV actor, it's not necessarily the case that you'd be searching to be... You want to break out. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, he did choose to make this movie, so I wonder if he maybe does kind of want to go down that route. Um, yeah, he's quite... He's not very old, is he? He's in his early 30s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and he doesn't look as if he's that old, so... He, he could, I'm sure he could play... He could definitely play younger or Yeah, older. and he's done theatre, and he's done BBC TV, and he's done now American TV and American Hollywood mainstream. Maybe he's sort of trying to find his niche. I personally think that he's more suited for, for TV, um, like long-form TV. But yeah. I will say, I think from The Spy Dump Me, what I've seen is that Jamie is a... Sorry, Sam Human is a fantastic physical actor. There's a bit where he has this mass... He has these massive fight scenes that he yeah, does. Yeah, which he is very good at. And he's obviously a strong guy, um, because, you know, he's fucking ripped. But he has this amazing capacity, amazing, like, fluidity of movement, and he has such good hand coordination. And he just, like... He played through this whole thing of, like, a choreographed fight... And it just looked easy, you know, and he's he's so, he's such, he's very, very, very good in the physical roles, I yeah, think. Yeah, I agree. That was very slick. And, and that's the kind of thing that maybe not everyone could pull off. So. Yeah. But of course, Outlander is actually now back uh, in the time since we... And we've been terrible because we've both only watched the first episode. Yeah, which is very uncharacteristic, but we will catch up and then we will fill you in on our thoughts at a later dates. I think I'm just kind of traumatised. Like, I just keep thinking about like how like, upsetting it's going to be because Outlander's constantly upsetting. Yeah, I think the thing is that we have to watch it together because I don't ever feel like watching it alone because I like know it's probably going to be a bit depressing. All horrible things are going to happen to Brianna, which we know about. Yeah, because we have a bad habit of like reading ahead, yeah. ahead but it means we're warned. I'd rather be warned than traumatised. So the end of the first episode was absolutely psychotic. Like, not as in it was crazy, as in, like, their writers are disturbed in doing that to us. Like, they play this, like, really nice jazzy tune over a horrifying scene of, like, trauma. Yeah. And it's so outlander. And I was like, why did I not think this was going to happen? Like, why did I let them lull me into a false sense of security when something horrible happens? Like, ugh. So I keep forgetting that horrible stuff happens a lot in Outlander and you kind of have to get used to it. Yeah, and I think when you come home from work, 
you don't necessarily think I know I'm going to watch more, people being traumatised more emotional trauma uh, but yeah we'll have to set aside a night where we can watch it properly and then we will fill you in on our thoughts perhaps a bit later on in the season hey you um, I think that's, that's it we're going to wrap up so this week we're not going to have our usual recommend section because we kind of had we've already had lots of treats for you in talking yeah, about yeah guys geez. I mean we had a special guest what more can you want but we are um, we do have a plot a not sinister plot for the next <laughs> for the next episode which we're going to be discussing I'm not doing this okay uh, <laughs> We're going to be discussing A Christmas Prince 2, which comes out really soon, and The Princess Switch, two fantastic Netflix Christmas films. Honestly, we are truly blessed. Yeah, so that's going to be a great festive special for you. Look out for that in the next couple of weeks in the lead up to Christmas. Yeah, but until then, uh, our social medias, you know them, hopefully. We've shared them enough times. You can look us up on the internet if you're unsure. Um, And yeah, thanks for listening, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Bye. (laughs)